Hi, welcome to Please Advise, a podcast on marketing, growth, and social and environmental impact. I am Sam Ruiz, and today we are chatting with Maeve Anderson, the program lead for global sustainability at Fresh Del Monte Produce. I am so excited for this conversation. We are talking about all things environmental responsibility. So we're talking about climate change, we're talking about food waste, and then we're also talking a lot about collaboration and the importance of that when you're building out a sustainability program. It is a fantastic conversation, and I cannot wait for you to jump in with us. So let's go. Welcome to the show. I'm so glad you're here and could join us today. How are you doing? Good. Hello. It's great to see you, Sam. Yeah, always good to see you. Um, I would love for you to just introduce yourself to our listeners today, give them a bit of a background of who you are. Perfect. Okay. Hello. My name is Maeve Anderson, and I'm the Global Sustainability Program Lead at Fresh Del Monte Produce. So I've been in this role for around two years. Before that, I was in school. I studied sustainable agriculture and climate science at Cornell University. So it's it's a, been a great experience working with Fresh Del Monte Produce and really digging into agriculture in particular. And we focus on all sorts of things in the sustainability program that we'll touch on today. But that's my brief intro of where I am <laughs> No, I love it. And what a difference from Cornell to Miami, where, yes, yes, where Fresh no, Del Monte is been located. A big change. <laughs> yes, so yeah, we're in Miami now. And it's been really great, you know, to work at a big agricultural company. You know, I focused back in school. I, I researched more about land conservation. So I used to work at the Cornell Lab of Ornithology. So I was a little more bird focused back then. But now, you know, really diving into agriculture, it's been fascinating to see the scope of impact you can have at such a big company. So it's, it's exciting to talk about and I'm looking forward to digging into the details today. Yeah, I mean, honestly, when we think about sustainability, like agriculture is truly one of those topics that there are so many elements and so many aspects. And to your point, like ability to make an impact, right? So I would love to just hear about your experience, like diving into this world of sustainable ag. Like, give me the give me the DL. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So in, essentially, we, as you mentioned, there's a lot going on. So you know, when we look at Fresh Del Monte produce, we own our farms around 50%. We own around 50%. We source third party. So we're thinking about sustainability on the actual farm. But also, you know, we think about moving it to the market. So we have our own vessels. We think about trucking, you know, distributing product to our customers. Um, and then we also think about sustainability in our processing facilities. So when we take a pineapple and make it into a fresh cut product, all the water and energy that it takes for that. So there's a lot going on. And I would say in general, we've been spending a lot of time and effort defining our priorities for sustainability. And for me, that looks like right now, um, climate action. So I really focus in on to the climate change side of the story. I think about calculating our greenhouse gas emissions, which I'd be happy to dive into the details. Um, and then also another topic we're, we're really thinking about these days is food waste. So a lot of consumers find that to be a really important issue, especially our customers. So we think about food waste across our entire company. So from the farm all the way to the consumer. And there's a hundred different sustainability topics you could talk about for agriculture, but you know, those are the two I think I focus on most, but you know, we also have this as a social side of the story to consider. So it's a big job and we're a small team, but it's, it's really exciting. 
and it's great to have so many different facets of the of the job you can think about. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So definitely a lot going on when you say that. Um, for for the way that Fresh Del Monte produce is set up, right, where you own part of your farms, mm-hmm. um, is that normal for produce companies, or would that be something that like kind of sets you apart in the space? It, it kind of depends. You know, I see a lot of food and uh, food and beverage companies, so the big names in agriculture. You think about Nestle, you think about General Mills. A lot of those companies don't own a lot of their own operations. You know, they're sourcing from farms. But in terms of agricultural companies, we'll see a lot of small growers and medium-sized growers own operations. And I think the good thing for our size is having our own farms give us a lot more opportunity to innovate in the agricultural world. You know, we don't have to talk to our growers and have them implement programs. We really have the opportunity to make an impact on our own farms. And we have the research and development teams and the technical support to do that, which is really exciting because it, it means we can be creative and we can be innovative um, and we can learn from our own operations and then eventually see how we can share those findings with our suppliers, which is always a challenge in, in the agricultural field because there's not a lot you can do sometimes, but but in other ways, us knowing how it works on the ground is helpful. Yeah, no, that's incredible. I mean, just the amount of impact that you can have when you have those relationships is pretty incredible. Like, like you said, you have a lot more, I guess for lack of a better word, control over what's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're able to implement new programs more quickly, um, ideally get some of that data. <laughs> yes. I'm sure it's it's more complicated than it is said, but um, in theory, right, like you would be able to have like, you know, a lot more hands-on approach. Mm-hmm. It's definitely right. In. And for me, when I think about climate, change in climate action, it's really helpful to have our own operations that I can work with because it's been, um, you know, for us, it's it's challenging to, to think about calculating emissions. And a lot of the work is still needs to be done in the international scale about learning how to make estimates for all the things that happen on the farm. So for me, you know, I work every day with the people in the operations to understand our emissions. And, you know, we're in the process of thinking about ways where we can make big reductions, um, but it, it is really useful to have those owned operations as really the, the focus of our efforts, because there's so much that can be done in, in the scope of our operations. We have around 21 countries we're operating in and hundreds of facilities. So it's certainly worthwhile to focus there first. Yeah, I know that, that completely makes sense. And you've touched a little bit on what you're doing climate or for the climate. Um, mm-hmm. And I would love to hear a little bit more about like how you even began this, right? Like to your point, you there's so much happening mm-hmm. on the operational level. Like where does someone even start when they're thinking about measuring, you know, your footprint and then decreasing it? Yeah, so that was a, our challenge. And we've been working on this situation for like two years. And at the beginning, you know, we, we had a, a passion for it. We knew it was important. It's something that I certainly brought into the company from back at my time at school. Um, and again, our leadership is very forward thinking where they knew climate change was something that we should be considering as an agricultural company. I mean, I think it's, it's apparent how there's high risk in agriculture from climate change, but also at the same time, you know, farms and, and large agricultural companies do have a certain um, amount of emissions coming from their operations. So we do sort of have a role to play in preventing climate change. So that was sort of the why. And then when we started, the first thing we knew we needed to do was 
somehow figure out how to get a baseline of our emissions. And, and this became sort of a, I would say a two year project to get our heads wrapped around how we were going to do it. And what we did first is essentially pulled together our own calculator, if you will, because we looked at all the options out there. And honestly, it was very challenging because all of the current, you know, climate action calculators really only made sense for uh, operations in the U.S. and some in Europe. Mm -hmm. But for us, we have tropical agriculture and it just didn't really fit. So we knew we were going to have to build something on our own. So we developed a tool um, and essentially it's a, a large calculator, if you will, where each operation can enter all of this different data, you know, data about their energy usage, their crop management usage if relevant, and all of these things that come into a emissions inventory, they do it in this program. So we, we developed that and then it's been, you know, uh, my job over the last few years to get everyone using it, trained using it. So we have um, around 150 people using the tool and from various countries, various operations. And I, I hold many training sessions. I do one probably <laughs> once a month, you know, sometimes in that in the heat of the calculation, you know, we were doing like three a month. Three. We try to do it for, you know, one for each region. So people are comfortable with the timing because, of course, we're working you know, across time zones. Um, but it's been really positive. You know, the, the feedback we've gotten is it's been useful to have really intensive training because that's what mm. is lacking sometimes when you push a program on our operations that are already doing so much, you know, they need the support from, from corporate and they need the support from us to really make sure that they understand why and how they're going to make the calculation. So that's been mm -hmm. a long journey, but it's been, I think, really um, positive because at this point we've, we've finished two full inventories for 2019. And then this year we finished just now a 2020 inventory. Wow. So we have the data finally, and it has been <laughs> quite a journey <laughs> getting there. No, that's amazing. And congratulations on even that, because the when you think about how big your operations are, that is mm -hmm. quite a feat. So huge kudos to you and the team for, for getting through even creating a baseline. Yeah. And that was a challenge. You know, we, we didn't we knew it was going to be um, difficult. But I think as we went, we realized how many facilities, how many little tiny details that all add up. And I think you know, we found it to be a great success even to have every single facility reporting. And mm -hmm. as we go, we're getting better and better at making sure each data point is correct and uh, calculated in the same way. And it's continuous improvement, but you know, at least we feel comfortable with our baseline. And, and that's the, the, the beginnings of the reduction side of the story. Right. And you, you mentioned this a second ago, but you said when you talk to the operations, you know, it's important to explain how they're going to measure, but also mm -hmm. why. Do you yes, want to yeah. elaborate a little bit on that why factor? Sure. So when we decided to make um, our calculation strategy, we, you know, we, there's a lot of options. And one option is to make estimates from the corporate level. So go down and, and assess, you know, how much we're purchasing, how much we're using. But we decided against that. We really wanted to make sure every facility was involved in the calculation so they could see at the end of the day, okay, here are my emissions for my facility. And the reason why we made that decision is we felt it was so important to have, you know, buy-in from all those facilities about climate action. And we wanted them to have an understanding of the emissions from their facility because there's so many facilities. You know, we have around 100 and, and the whole team, if they're involved in the calculation, there's so many people bringing in climate into their day-to-day. -day. And we felt the best way to do this was to have them 
very involved in the process. And, and we do that through this, this tool. We call it the Environmental Action Tool. That's the name of the program. And I really think that was a, a good choice. You know, we had a lot of people becoming more and more knowledgeable of climate change. You know, when we first started this program, we spent a lot of time teaching about climate change, you know, mm-hmm. about how it impacts our production, how it impacts our communities. And I think that resonated with our team. Um, and as they went, they realized how innately connected their facilities are with our emissions. And I think that's a very eye-opening. A lot of times mm-hmm. you don't realize that your day-to-day is connected to these larger, larger um, global environmental and social issues. So that, that was really a big part of the, um, the program. And then later on this December, we decided to commit to the science-based target initiative. So essentially, and we can talk about that because it was pretty exciting. <sighs> it was really a big step forward for us, but that helped us really get people to understand, okay, this is a big deal for our company. This is going to be part of our global strategy. It's not just something I have to do in my facility. Yeah. Wow. That That's a huge step. So, you know, a lot of companies, big and small, right, are probably at similar stages to where you were before you went down this baseline and developed your baseline, where they're like, we know, we know we have emissions. (laughs) We have no idea how many, like we can make guesses, but you know, the idea of tracking it is overwhelming and measuring it is overwhelming. And we don't even kind of know where to start, right? Like Mm -hmm. it's just, it's a lot. So when you, when you first were in this stage, when you were first like, okay, we need to develop a baseline. Like what, what were, what was the very first step that you took? What was the very first thing that you, you decided to do in order to get to where you are now? So I would say it helped us in some ways that our facilities really drove the effort in the beginning. You know, Mm -hmm. we have our largest agricultural operation. So one in Costa Rica for banana and then now one in Costa Rica for pineapple. They actually engaged with the carbon neutral certification. So I believe the first one was around 2015. So they've been working for a very long time, you know, far before Mm -hmm. I even joined the company on climate. Um, And so they were able to make a calculation of their emissions and then certify against our natural areas. So essentially in in these operations, we have forested areas in in and around our operations. So around 10,000 hectares, which is quite a lot. You know, it's around 26 percent of our owned land globally um, conserved for wildlife, for biodiversity. So there's been a strong legacy of that conservation spirit. And the team realized that from those natural areas, they could certify as carbon neutral because the amount of emissions that are occurring in our facility are less than the amount of emissions that are taken in by the trees, which we don't need to dig into the science there, but really, you know, (laughs) trees sequester carbon dioxide from the atmosphere and you can make the calculation and compare the two. So they were certified carbon neutral. And I think that was a a big moment for the company that climate action, you know, is just important. It's something that can signal to our customers that we're forward thinking on sustainability. Mm. So when when we decided to do the global baseline, we already had that tradition in our company. We already knew that our biggest agricultural operations were very familiar with how to make these calculations. So it was a lot easier to make Mm. the case to the other facilities. Um, And again, you know, when we first dove into the the global baseline, we, we just researched and we engaged with third parties. We talked with other industries under other uh, NGOs to really get an idea of what's out there because there is a lot out there currently for climate change and agriculture, but you really have to sift through it because, you know, for example, the 
key guiding documents from the United Nations, they have a lot for agriculture, but not everything you need to make the calculations. You need to pull things together to make sure that you have the right approach for your own company. Right. So, I mean, what I'm hearing is that there was a ton of collaboration, both internally and Mm -hmm. externally, as you decided to go down this path. Yes. Yeah, I would say certainly, definitely internally with those facilities that are our experts. So I call them our sustainability champions in all of our (laughs) regions. We have one or two people in each facility who have really stepped up to the plate to lead the effort to calculate. And so we bring those champions together through the training sessions, but also through regular meetings to share stories, you know, through regions. We like to highlight those facilities that are going above and beyond. And that way we can sort of help each other train on how to calculate our emissions. So we have these experts, you know, we have the people in the facilities that have been doing carbon neutral for five years, six years. Mm. So they can help us teach the other facilities who are now just getting on board. So that's sort of the internal side of the story. And then externally, of course, you know, we are engaged with a lot of different um, players, you know, in we have a new partnership with the German Development Cooperation, GIZ, in Central America for the, the project is more about biodiversity conservation. But again, for us, it's really important to be engaging with external groups because climate, yeah. you know, is not a company issue. It's a global issue and you can't really make change without collaboration. So we see that as an important part of, of the climate story. And that's really one of the main reasons why we decided to set a science-based target and to join into that industry-wide effort. Yeah, no, I love that. And I mean, to your point, like it is a global issue and there's Mm -hmm. so much intersectionality between that climate change and what's going on at a regional level and a community level and Mm -hmm. an operational level that to not collaborate with people who are on the ground or collaborate with others that are trying to, you know, make positive impacts like it it would be a shame to not work with them and Mm -hmm. leverage what they're doing too and leverage their knowledge um to improve your efforts yeah certainly and we definitely we see how important it is because the impacts of climate change too they ripple across all sorts of areas you know our communities but also areas where we operate and so it's important that we engage with these people and especially when we think about you know as climate change becomes worse, water scarcity increases. We found it to be really important to collaborate with our communities in our watersheds. And, you know, this is a little more complicated, but again, the impacts of climate change really necessitate collaboration and and including stakeholders in the process. And that was one of the main reasons why we developed this partnership I mentioned in passing with GIZ. And essentially it's it's a big alliance we're forming in our main regions of Costa Rica and Guatemala. And the purpose is really to get um, our community engaged in our efforts to conserve our watersheds, because as climate change increases, you know, those natural solutions to climate impacts, so reforestation, land restoration, really help increase resiliency in the communities, especially when you see water, you know, decreasing, you see issues related to water access because of climate change. We see that all ties together for us. And I think you know, pulling in a, a third party, GIZ, to develop this program has really allowed us to facilitate, you know, speaking with communities and having them as a really um, main part of our strategy. As, as before, we, we struggled to find a way to connect with our communities in a, in a more formal way. Yeah. And I mean, that makes total sense because if you are 
trying to solve a problem for a community without actually talking to the community, you're kind of playing hero Mm -hmm. and you may not be solving the true problem. You could be like putting a bandaid on something else, but without that collaboration, you would never know. Yeah. And that's, that's always been, I think in some ways, a strength of ours that we really allow our regional teams to lead the effort. You know, we, Mm -hmm. you know, some is somehow a strength, somehow a weakness. We didn't have a lot of corporate programs to start, Mm -hmm. which is okay. You know, we had our regional teams really driving the effort and they work with their communities to evaluate, you know, what needed to be done. But as we develop, we realize that we need even more external support. You know, we need to really be facilitating the regions, getting involved with NGOs and local groups to make sure that we're assessing our communities' needs and meeting them where they are. Um, And that's always an area of continuous improvement, but it definitely, this partnership has helped a lot in making sure that is actually happening. Well, that's incredible to hear and super exciting about the science-based targets. So you joined that, you said last year? Yeah, so we committed in December. So the way it works is you okay. commit to the science-based target initiative and then you have two years to set a target. So after we committed, we convened, uh, well, we have our baseline ready and we convened a working group on climate action. We have members from across the company, engineering, agriculture, Um, vessel shipping, all of our big players in terms of um, emissions come together and we're working to build a roadmap for our science-based targets. So our goal is to come out of the working group sessions with our target set and then we'll basically submit it to science-based targets for approval. So that's in the works, Um, but we have another year or so, but I'm expecting to have it soon, hopefully. So it's it's great. It's a great place to be. That's, I mean, super exciting to be embarking upon that and to be Mm -hmm. making those um, commitments and exciting to be working with everyone across the organization. Like, I think a lot of people think about sustainability and they think for your instance, it would be the suppliers, but you just mentioned some really great other elements of like vessel shipping, engineering, Um, you know, those are big players when we talk about emissions Mm -hmm. and the fact that you're getting them involved in these conversations is, you know, wonderful. Yeah, and it's for us, it's been sort of a necessity. We're a small sustainability team. So <laughs> that's yeah. forced us to really push ourselves to to bring in more people across the company. And I think that's really a strength of our program mm-hmm. is we have members from across the company who really consider sustainability to be part of their own jobs. Um, mm-hmm. So for us, sustainability is integrated into what we do every day. I mean, the, uh, the department itself falls under research and development, which again has really made it an aspect of the way we work and so when we need to we're we're very um, efficient at pulling together you know for example people from vessel shipping or from engineering operations to come into the process so sustainability isn't sort of an external department that does its own thing and communicates what it's doing we're really part of the everyday which was one of our goals when we started um, really developing our program around two years ago yeah i mean that's that's great because you do see a lot of companies who are like, we're going to start doing sustainable things. And then they like, you know, pick somebody and they're like, Joe, you are now our sustainability (laughs) lead. And he's like in a room by himself, like trying to do it. Right. That is a very different approach than this collaborative one where it is kind of embedded into your organization. And to what you said, you know, it's part of everybody's job. And like, I think that's kind of where, we would want to get to when we talk about sustainability is making it so it's part of literally everyone's job every day. Yeah. And for us, you know, we have a 
we're, we've, we've been going that direction for a long time. I think sustainability you know, has been part of the company's legacy for a long time. You know, even since they first acquired some land in Costa Rica for agriculture, you know, they were embedding these conservation practices. But now we're really trying to formalize that. You know, we have all of our um, vice president level executives setting a sustainability related goal as part of their performance review process starting this year, which was a big step too, because that really helped get commitment from those people and really bring them in and see, you know, this is part of their job, which is, it's really important, I think. And these days, Mm -hmm. sustainability, you know, isn't a feel good anymore. It's a a necessity and it it really impacts our relationship with our investors and our customers. So we see sustainability as a non-negotiable these days. That's great. Um, Okay, so you're working on science-based targets. Those commitments will be coming in the near-ish term. Um, What else is on the the agenda for you from a climate perspective? So for us right now, that's our main priority. We're working um, to develop our next CSR coming out in August. So that's been a a lot of effort, as always, which is really exciting. Um, And as part of that process, we're re-looking at our sustainability goals. So I mentioned a working group for climate, but we're also establishing working groups for food waste, um, for supply chain, responsible sourcing, worker well-being, um, and I believe those are all of them. Hopefully I didn't miss any, but we have around six different topics that we're focusing in on. And their goal here is to just take a look at our current state and then also, oh, you know what? The last topic was responsible farming, of course. Very important. (laughs) Of course. Yeah. So those are... We, we identified those topics as most important, and we did that through a full materiality assessment process where we looked in the perspectives of our investors, our customers, retailers, NGOs, internal employees to get an idea of, of where we should focus our strategy moving forward. And then those six topics popped up, um, and I realized I, again, missed the last one, which was sustainable packaging. So there are six. I think I sprinkled them in. <laughs> but there are six in total. So we're focusing on those six. And for each of those topics, we're convening a working group. So similar to climate, the groups are cross-cutting. So we have people from various departments across the company, around eight per working group. So in total, it's like 45 different leaders throughout the company wow. involved in this working group process. So it's been really exciting. It's, it's, a, it's a time to really take a hard look at where we are and then think about setting goals and making policies moving forward. Um, and we see it's important to, to keep looking in at our sustainability program and, and and not being stagnant. So we're really focusing in on making improvements right now. And so in the next CSR, we'll be able to release some new goals out of the working group, but also have a better idea of, of the structure and governance of our programs. And that's a key focus for us right now. Uh, we've done a lot of great sustainability work, but we're really focusing in on embedding sustainability in the governance of our company. So that's top of mind in the working group process for all of those different issues that I mentioned sporadically throughout my (laughs) my list. Um, So, you know, you picked six that you mentioned. Um, Mm -hmm. How did you, you know, you mentioned your materiality assessment and that you did like a full on one. Um, Do you want to explain a little bit about what goes into that for our listeners who may be interested and like they've heard the term, but they've never really embarked upon one themselves? Yes, yeah, so it's a classic sustainability term. You might hear it all around. It usually comes into people's sustainability reports. And really what it is, is it's a, it's a way to get an accurate look at what your stakeholders think of your sustainability program and, what, and where they want it to go. 
So it can, it's composed of a surveying process, but also some actual interviews. And you select a, a subset of your stakeholders. So for us, we really thought about our key customers, so key global retailer customers that we're selling our product to. We thought about um, key industry associations that we're involved with to get an idea of you know where the industry is looking. We also in, involved some um, understanding of how we're scored by our investors for ESG, environmental social governance ratings. Um, but in, really importantly is our employees. So we surveyed our employees, our leadership. And altogether, it was a huge group of people. And, and basically you have them assess a variety of key sustainability topics and rate the importance to the company. Um, and I'm not gonna try to list them again, but there is a lot of different <laughs> ones. And they, they span the scope of basically anything you see pop up in a sustainability report, you know, supply chain management, um, human rights, you know, all the key ones. And you are able to prioritize you know, which ones you need to focus on. And that's how we developed those six priorities um, for us that we felt, you know, and priorities doesn't always mean we're not doing a great job. It's there's opportunity for us to improve in a, in a given area. So those are the ones we established. And, and now we're, we're, the next step is, you know, making change. Yeah. And I, I would say too, it's, it, from my experience in the space and talking to people, it's not just like where you can improve, right? It's also like where you can actually have an impact. So exactly, yeah. For what you said, like, you know, going into um, food waste a bit, like that's a very obvious area where you have a lot of control. You can have a huge impact there. Mm-hmm. And there's all, there's, you know, sustainability isn't like, you know, here's the end goal. We're all going to hit it. Like as much as we would love that, like it's a moving target. We're always Mm -hmm. going to improve. We always have room um, and opportunities for us to get better. So, I mean, it it seems like you really took a look at it and you were like, all right, where can we continue to further our efforts and where Mm -hmm. can we actually have our efforts make a true impact in our communities and in our operations? Yeah, that's a great point. And usually the way it works is you make you know, you're thinking about what are, what's important to your business, but also exactly what you mentioned. You know, what areas are your company having a huge impact on? So obviously agriculture, you know, responsible farming, those ones, climate change, water. Those are all areas where Del Monte's large scope of operations has an impact. And that can be environmental or social. So we chose those areas uh, for that reason. And food waste is a good one for us because... You know, in general, you know, that's, a, that's an issue that a lot of people are concerned with. And us as an agricultural company creating food, you know, and not just any food, fresh produce, which is really important for many people's diets, you know, it's plant-based food. It's important that we don't lose it. You know, we get it to the consumer when we harvest it. So that's something we really dove into for our working groups to understand, you know, as always, first, our baseline. So where we are, where we're losing product, if we are and identifying better ways to get product to people. And that's been a big priority for us because it's it's part of our business, you know, providing healthy choices to people is one of our key missions as a company. That's yeah, that's great. And I'm, I'm sure that there's a lot of different ways you can slice and dice, Mm -hmm. (laughs) slice and dice food waste um, where it's, you know, yes, at the end consumer level, you know, perhaps at, you know, grocery stores, but I'm sure that there's other places too, where you're looking at, you know, where can we be more efficient or what can we do with these? You mentioned some um, like prepared food, like what can we do with the 
the waste, the bits that we don't use? Like, how are you kind of looking at that and being um, innovative with your your efforts? Yeah, so we, throughout all of our operations, we kind of um, use like a hierarchical, hierarchical approach. I don't know if that's a word, but using a hierarchy <laughs> of, of destinations. And that's sort of, I, I would say, best practice, you know, for, for food waste is you think about first, before anything else, reducing food waste entirely. So source reduction, making sure you're increasing efficiency. Um, if there's food waste or food that can't be sent to a given customer, instead of throwing it out, you're finding another outlet for it. So maybe, mm. for example, we have an operation that you know, if avocados can't make it to export, they're being used for avocado oil. So we're finding those secondary markets. And again, in, in pineapples, we are moving product to juice or, or pulp. You know, being creative about that is always the first priority to make sure it, it stays as food. And then as we go, you know, if, if we can't do that, we want to donate product to those in need and we're really thinking about donation to food banks or people in, in need. And that's what we've done a lot, especially in COVID when we saw a lot of disruption to the supply chain, especially in North America um, in our ports, we really prioritized getting food to people in our food banks. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we donated, I believe it was over 16 million pounds of, of food wow. to people in, in 2020 in, in North America alone, which was really great because at, at a time when people needed it most, you know, fresh produce is always important to those food banks because a lot of times they, they don't have it. They don't have mainly canned food or food that's been, you know, is packaged items, which of course are better than nothing. It's great to have that, but fresh produce is always in high demand. So it's, it's great to be able to do that. And we have a lot of partners across the U.S., um, over 40 different entities where we donate our product to. And you wow. know, I would say that that really came out of the creativity of our teams and our operations where they make connections with people in their in their community so they find a food bank and they work together sometimes for over 10 years with the same food bank bringing food to that to that entity which i think is great because it's both a um of course a food waste reduction you know we're not sending it to landfill we're sending it to people but it has such social benefits which is really the the priority for us and it's it's great to see that product that doesn't make it to a retailer has another life um, for someone who really needs it. Yeah, yeah, that's that's incredible. And when you think about, you know, how else to use food waste, right? Like, what else are you thinking about? Are there like innovative and cool things that you're doing? Are you working with, um, like there's so many startups right now that are upcycling food. Mm-hmm. Like what are some of the, the approaches that you're taking that may be like not the status quo? Yeah, I would say there's you know a lot going on in the food waste world, which is really exciting. And, you know, we have a lot of companies reach out to us asking for samples of our product to work with. So there is a lot of things in the works. And, you know, as I mentioned, we have some great alternatives are sending avocados to avocado oil, um, pineapple pulp to frozen product. There's, there's a lot. And then in terms of innovation, you know, there's a lot of pro- programs in the works that hopefully we can announce soon. But um, in general, you know, I think we're very creative and, and just looking at our numbers, you know, we, we divert around 92% of our waste from landfill. So 92% of wow. waste doesn't go to landfill, it goes somewhere else. And I mentioned donations, but we also get it to cattle feed, animal feed, you know, for farms, we send product to, in some situations, a biogas, there's so much. And it's really just about being creative and, and finding any bit of value you can out of waste and make sure it doesn't 
end up in the landfill. And that's really our goal to keep waste out of the landfill. Um, but that's definitely a program we're, we're currently innovating on. Um, and we're thinking about how we can really get waste somewhere else other than landfill and, and prioritizing always people. Yeah. You know, get, and it sounds like the people. And it sounds again, like collaboration and partnerships mm-hmm. is huge there too, because you don't want to move food waste, huge, you know, distances. You want to find people locally mm-hmm. that you can support or um, work with to, you know, use that waste or upcycle that waste or whatever it may be. Yes. Yeah. And I think that was a huge strength of our program and in North America specifically, and also in other operations around the globe. But in North America, they really have connections with their community. And, and that's great because it allows us to really be, you know, when we're donating, it allows us to be really embedded in those communities, making sure you know, we're supporting them in a really tangible way. And a lot of that happened because of our leaders in our operations. You know, they're the ones who make the connections. So when the pandemic started, we we launched a, a program. It was called the Community Support Leaders. So we started with our ports and we basically nominated one person in the facility to be the person, the liaison between Del Monte and then the community. And their job was to make sure we had connections, that we could bring our product to those in need that they were looking around the community finding the food banks finding the food drives and i think that made a difference you know it really became a source of passion for our teams and you know they did incredible jobs in really times of crisis connecting product to those who needed it most yeah and i think again like having that collaboration internally like and allowing your team members to feel the impact that they're having on the community Mm -hmm. and on different people's lives that must get you so much buy-in from your your teams to keep moving and pushing this forward. Yeah, I think for us, it's always when we can, we make the programs a facility level or bottom-up approach. We really like the way our teams dive into the effort. You know, it, it doesn't always come from corporate. It, you know, in fact, it rarely does. It usually comes from our team members, their passion for sustainability. And, and it wouldn't work if, it, if they didn't because, you know, we're tiny. It's, only a few people in corporate doing sustainability but if you think about our whole company you know we have passionate individuals across the globe so it's a a big community of sustainability champions that that really make it part of their job which which makes us succeed in a lot of our programs in a way we couldn't if they didn't have that passion yeah that's incredible um so final question for you um as we have a lot of listeners who are starting businesses or own small companies or smaller companies, and they want to create their own sustainable um, either pillars or be really sustainable from the get-go, what mm-hmm. advice would you give to someone who's just getting started in this space and, and really wants to make a difference? I think that's a great question. And I would say for me, I, I think it's so important to really do your research find out what's happening and what's already been done, what people, what the leaders are doing, because for sustainability, the great thing right now is that it's all happening and there's so much going on. So what I always think is we don't want to reinvent the efforts that other mm. people have done, but instead to amplify those efforts and really listen into what's been going on and, and see how you can make your own contribution rather than starting from scratch. And I think that's been a learning I've taken away from my time here is that the more I ask about what our facilities are doing, I realize there's so much already being done that I'm happy I had done the research rather than 
you know, try to just start it from scratch and ignoring all the great work that's, that's already out there. So that would be always the first step, you know, really making sure you have a clear understanding of what's out there and, and seeing how you fit in there rather than just trying to, you know, reinvent all the great progress that's been made. Yeah, I mean, and I think that's huge too, right? Like not even, even if you don't have your own facilities, even if you're not a huge company that's mm-hmm. working with a bunch of different operations, but just talk to the communities, talk to people yeah. who are on the ground, the people that you want to support, see what they're already doing. And you amplify is like the perfect word for it, right? Like how can you mm-hmm. amplify that? How can you create a platform to help, you know, further their efforts? So I, mm-hmm. I absolutely love that. So thank you. This has been a fantastic conversation as always, Maeve. Um, how can people stay involved, stay in the loop with what you're doing and what Fresh Del Monte Produce is doing? So we are active on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and our sustainability website. So you know, maybe we can put the link in somewhere, but in general, Definitely. we try to we communicate our programs and excited to share as we, we progress. Because for us, it's a journey and you know we're really <laughs> in the beginning. So it, there's a lot of great things that are still yet to come. Yeah, I think for all of us, it's a journey. Yeah. <laughs> We're all going to be constantly working towards that that constantly moving target. So mm-hmm. you are by far not alone on that. Um, well, thank you again, Maeve. It was such a pleasure to talk to you. Um, and I hope we get to talk again soon. Great. Thanks, Sam. <laughs>